Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, we've been in a series, Identity, and uh, this is our fourth week in the series of Identity we've been talking about. You know, <clears throat> the last time that, that uh, I, uh, as Christy and I, as parents, had to drop off one of our kids at college was in 2016, June of 2016. We took our daughter, Caitlin, to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and here's a picture of her. This is, our, this is the last picture we took. After this, we didn't get to see her for the next, I think it was like 10, 12 months or something, no, 10 months. Um, she was gone, and uh, here she is. She's on her way walking. She was pretty energetic, a little nervous, you know, because it was, it was the Air Force Academy. It's a little bit different than just normal dropping somebody off at a college. Like, this was her a couple of weeks later. Like, they, they had this service that they, uh, uh, as parents, you know, so all these parents are like, how are we going to know what's going on with our kids, you know? And so they have this service where you can actually filter through tens of thousands of pictures trying to find your daughter or your son. <laughs> and so, believe me, there was so much wasted time Right around June, July of 2016, as I was filtering through pictures trying to find Caitlin, I found a few. This is this is her. You know, it's not a this is not normal college drop off. You know, like most kids don't get dropped off at college, and then this is what they go through a couple weeks later. Um, But when we were dropping her off, I remember, I remember the feeling I had was, God, does she know? Does she know? that you are with her, that you have, that she has access to you? Does she know that even though daddy is not around, daddy can't help, like literally daddy cannot help, (laughs) does she know that her heavenly father is on her side? Does she know that she can call out to her heavenly father and that God can touch her and speak to her and encourage her even though when things are just very, very difficult, even when she's grunting in the ground, you know? that she has access to you, does she know? That was kind of on my thoughts and my prayers. It's just, God, may she know that she can connect with you and that you could speak to her. We're on our way to the hotel room afterwards and it's very emotional. Christy cried a lot. Um, I, I may have a little bit. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but in my spirit, what I... I, I as, as I was releasing her, as I was releasing her to the Air Force, there was this feeling that just began to surface inside of me, to just rise up inside of me like, I was like cheering her on. And it was like this sense of just go and become who you were meant to become. Like, I don't, I can't protect you. There's been so much that we've invested in you. There's been so much that we've poured into your life. There's been so much that we've done that we we can no longer do anymore. Now you go be who you were meant to be. Today, I got another picture here. Uh, This is now six years later, and she's a second lieutenant at uh, Davis-Monthan in in Arizona, and uh, she has found her community among the Air Force. She loves it. She's a flyer, and so she's, She's doing great, and, um, and I see this picture, and I'm really proud, but what I'm mostly proud of is this journey that she's been on is that she has, it's been a journey of discovery, 
of becoming who she was meant to be. Now, obviously, the Air Force is not her true identity, and she understands that. But I would say to all of us that God is calling us to become who we were meant to be. This whole series of identity is that God is inviting you and me to live out in our true identity. That's the invitation. That's the calling. That's what this whole series is about. It's not just simply about not knowing about identity. It's not simply knowing about how God feels. It's about actually living it out. That at some point, at some point, God releases us or our families release us or so we get released and God says, now become, be who you are meant to be. Live it out. We're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter three and this is really Paul, Paul's heart for the Ephesian church. He says in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family, Paul's like, Paul's praying for this church. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There's some identity language there, Right? Let's go back. He says, um, derives its name. He says, from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Like he says, I have called you. You belong to me. You have my name. This is identity stuff, right? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Like Paul understands something. Paul understands that for us to know truly who we really are comes from the inside. It's something that's happening inside of us. It's on the inside. It's in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, not religion, love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, Lord's holy people, like that was my prayer for Caitlin, that as she gets, as she was being released into the academy and she's connecting and she's becoming who she's meant to be, that, that there would be people who would come alongside her, that would walk with her, that are going on the same journey, that, that together they would discover who they are meant to be, right? Like we need each other. So together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's the objective, In so many ways, this message I'm talking about today, it's hard for me to just simply teach it. It's not something that you teach and you're like, oh, I get it now. Now I have it. This is something that's caught more than taught. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. And again, we talked about that word know. Paul uses a very intimate word, it's a very intimate word, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is my prayer for Caitlin that June day of, 19, of 2016, that she would understand, that she would comprehend just how much God loves her. I think that's really, our problem is a knowledge problem. Our problem is is that we navigate this world and we don't really understand just how much God loves us. We just walk around hoping, fingers crossed, maybe he does. And when we measure it based on, you know, how, how well we live it out, if we don't do very well, we just know he doesn't love us. Or maybe we try and we try to live it out, but it just, it's not as good as it can possibly be. So maybe he halfway loves us. 
And what Paul wants so desperately is for this church to know, to know that they are loved, the immeasurable love of Christ. And that's what I want for all of us. That's what I want for you. That's why this series is even around. I think I have, for the last several years, have been wrestling through this whole <clears throat> identity stuff that we're go- that's going on in our culture. And I realize that there's a lot of people that attend church and just don't know who they are. They just don't know who they are. And I just want you to know who you are. You belong to Christ and his love has been spread out upon you in such a powerful way. If you catch that, if you get that, you will know who you are. How many of you have seen the movie uh, Madagascar? Raise your hand. Okay, good. It's a good number of you. The rest of you are losers. (laughs) No. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's, uh, it's about these animals in a zoo in the city of New York, right? And, uh, and it's, it's, it's totally an identity kind of movie. Like, um, like here, here's, here, here's the animals that are the primary characters of the movie. You got Melman, the giraffe, okay? Melman is a hypochondriac. Like, like uh, He's always concerned about where's his meds and where's his doctor and where's his therapist, you know? And that's what he's, you know, that's Melman. And then you've got, uh, you've got uh, Gloria, who's a hippo. And Gloria, she's just cool. She's suave. She's always just kind of lumbering around, you know? And she gets mani-pedis and she gets, you know, mas- massages, you know? She's just awesome, right? That's Gloria. Everything's cool with Gloria. And then you've got, uh, you've got Marty, the zebra. And Marty is like the hype guy. He's the one who's always excited, right? You know, it's funny it's how the movie opens up. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's always, you know, his, his mind is on the wild, right? And so the movie opens up, and it's like Marty, and he's running through the wild. And it's like, wow, it's just action scene of Marty in the wild. And then the camera pans back, and then you realize that Marty's actually on a treadmill, and there's a background of the wild, you know? And so he's just really running on a treadmill, and he's, but he's all hype, he's all excited, he's just the very animated kind of guy. And then you've got Alex, the lion. And like, that's the least lion you've ever met in your life. Like he is, he, he's grown up in a zoo, he's been pampered since he was a little tiny cub, you know, and uh, he gets hand-fed steaks, you know, at just the right temperature, you know. He's never had to hunt for the steak. He's never had to do any of that stuff, you know. He gets, you know, all this attention and all this care. And his only job is every day to come out in front of everybody and do a big roar where everybody's like, oh, hey, Alex, you know, the lion. And he walks away like, yeah, I'm awesome, (laughs) you know. That's how he thinks about himself, right? And so you know how the story goes. Marty the zebra, he's like... There's always that guy, right? There's always that person that's like, time out, guys. This is not how it's supposed to be. Like, we're in a zoo, and we're African animals, and we're in a zoo. This is not how it's supposed to be. And he's always thinking about the wild. Every time he talks about the wild, the others freak out, like, wild? That's over there, like, two blocks down on some avenue in New York City. That's how they think of the wild, you know, some place there, you know? And... Uh, and so they're crazy. So circumstances, series of events happen, and what you find is that they end up in the wilds of Madagascar, and it's messy, and it's, uh, it's complicated. They're not being catered to. There's no crowds to admire them. There's no, there's no accolades, you know. <clears throat> Alex is starving because he is not a hunt, you know. And, but then suddenly they, they get a taste 
Like they get a taste of what they're, like how they've been created, right? And suddenly they get a taste of the wild and they realize, wow, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. And all of a sudden, it's like they come alive in the movie. They just, it's like suddenly they discover this is our true identity. This is who we're supposed to be. And it's interesting. The craziest, like the, the thing that's the most ridiculous thing for them at that point would be going back to live in a zoo. Like zoo life seemed to be okay, but it wasn't really life. It wasn't until they realized their true identity that they actually discovered what life is all about. And I think that the challenge for us is too many of us as Christians just live in the zoo. Treadmills, massages, steaks, right temperature. And we're missing out on what God has called us to become. I talk about Caitlin. She, this week we were talking <clears throat> And uh, she called me. She FaceTimes us very regularly. Like sometimes, I'm not kidding you, Katie. I know you're watching this. Sorry. But sometimes she calls us and we're like, oh, man, again? You know, because then it's like an hour-long conversation, you know. <laughs> I, I love her. But um, <clears throat> well, she called one night and she wanted to... My, so, so, she, so she calls on my phone and I was busy on the computer so I handed it over to Christy and so she answered the phone and this is exactly what she said. Uh, you're not the one I was calling. <laughs> Put dad on the phone, you know? And so, so we start talking and she wants to talk to me about, this is what she wants to talk to. She wants to talk to me about the doctrines of a church that she's attending and wants to make sure that those doctrines are okay. Like, you know, it's okay to be going to this church. I really love the church. I love the people. You know, she's really connected with the people, you know. And I, I didn't call her. I didn't call. I didn't ask her, hey, are you sure you know what they believe? Are you? I didn't do it. It's totally her initiation. And I have to be honest. When I hung up, I'm like, I'm proud of her. Like, she's owning her own faith. Like, we're sitting there at night. I'm reading scripture, you know, because she's talking about this doctrine. She doesn't understand it. And I'm like, I'm going into the Bible. And so that's what it says in the Bible. And I was reading scripture, and she, she's writing down notes. I'm like, yes. Like, that's what you want as a parent, right? You want your kids to say, yes, I embrace this. It belongs to me. This is my own. Like, she's discovering her identity. She's becoming who she was meant to be. And so that's what God wants for all of us. I was thinking about this this week. You know, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for this, my, my own kids, and I'm praying for my wife, and I'm praying for my family about this whole idea of identity and becoming who we were meant to be. And I felt like the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just checked me and said, hey, Rich, uh, what about you? Like, are you just, like, are you just going through the motions, running on the treadmill? Like, it looks all cool, you know, you're like Marty, and you got the background, everything's, but are you just, is that what you're doing, or are you really... Are you really living in the wild? Listen, this book, <clears throat> this book speaks to us about our identity. There's a lot it says in here, but honestly, if it only stays, if, this is, if all that we get out of this identity talk in this book is that it gets in our head and that's it, and we never flesh it out, we never live it out, it's like living in a zoo and not really embracing who God has, meant, has called us to become, Right? 
So Paul, that's what Paul wants. Paul wants this for, his church, for the church of Ephesus. It's like he's saying, I just want so much more for you. And I would echo what Paul said. I just want so much more for you. Verse 20 says this, now to him, <clears throat> now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, that word immeasurably more, what does it mean? Just means you can't measure it. <laughs> that's how much God has for us, right? Not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We get this text. Let's go back to the previous slide. We get this text and we read immeasurably more. And this is what we do. We take this passage and we pull it out of context and then we put it up on our, we like paste it up on our social media page. Or we, we, uh, we, you know, we make a little sign and put it on a refrigerator. Because more. We, we read the word more. And like, yeah. I mean, God, if you're talking about more, I can come up with more. Like I can start with more money in my bank, in my bank account. Right? That would be, that'd be awesome. Or, I, you know, maybe more, uh, you know, uh, I have a nice house, but more house, that's always better. Better job, like I want more out of my job. Or maybe you don't think in terms of material things. Maybe you think more in terms of like, yeah, if my wife just knew all the stuff that I do, I would appreciate more appreciation from her, right? Like there, there's, we can always come up with more. But this is not really what the more that the Apostle Paul is really talking about here, right? At some point, when we ask for this more, doesn't it start to feel like we're just on this treadmill and we're just kind of going through the motions? Like we have all these Christian circles getting together and they're just praying for more and praying for more. But I don't think this is what Paul is talking about. The reason why is you go back to verse one. This is what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, the what? <clears throat> the prisoner. Like he starts the chapter by saying he's a prisoner and then he's talking to the church about immeasurably more, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Like Paul, I'm sure, the, I'm sure this early church, they were pretty confused. Like this verse is not the one that we, it's not the one that we memorize, right? It's not the one that we pull out of the Bible and say, let's put that on my social media page. I'm a prisoner. <laughs> and I'm sure this church in Ephesus, they were kind of confused. Like, Paul, I don't get it. You're talking about immeasurably more, but, but you're a prisoner. Those things don't seem to go together. But for Paul, they did. By the way, he's going to write this entire book, the book of Ephesians. He's going to write the entire thing, and he's not once going to ask that they pray that he be released from prison. He doesn't ask for that. In fact, this is what Paul asks for. The prayer that he asks for, he says, pray that I have an opportunity to share the gospel with the prison guards. That's, what, that's the more that Paul is talking about, Right? I mean, Paul had achieved everything he could have possibly wanted. He had the right job. He was a Pharisee. In fact, he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, that was the job to have. That was a prestigious job. It was the right pay. It was, had great influence. Like, you know, whatever more one could have wanted, you know, he already had it, right? He had all of that stuff. And yet he would say, it nearly cost me my soul. And now here I am chained in prison, and I am freer than I have ever been. That's paradoxical. <clears throat> so when Paul defines more, he's not talking about the way we think about more. Like more stuff, more things, right? 
Then in verse 7, he kind of explains a little bit more about what's going on in his own life. <clears throat> he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Like I became a servant of this gospel. Like I was this guy that thought I had the world at my fingertips. Like I had everything. I was... You know, I, I had a name, I had a reputation, and now, now, after I've met Jesus Christ, now that I know who Jesus is, now I know the grace has been poured into me, this is who I am. I'm a servant of the gospel. Now, I know you think servant, you think, well, servant of the gospel, that's Paul, that might be Peter, it's John, the apostle, maybe even Pastor Rich, you know, or Pastor Chris, or Pastor Wayne, those are servants of the gospel. We're, we're just, we just attend church. <laughs> but that's not how Paul distinguishes here. Actually, the goal is for all of us, every single one of us, to be servants of the gospel. So it's an invitation of Paul for us to be more like him. In fact, I'm so glad that Paul was a servant of the gospel because we wouldn't even have the New Testament if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. Now, some of you realize that Paul is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible, um, second to Jesus, of course, but... Um, I like the Apostle Paul. I've read, I've researched, I've done, I've done, I've written research papers about the Apostle Paul, about his missionary journeys, about his mission strategy. So I kind of know a little bit about the Apostle Paul. And I, I, I just, I love this guy. In fact, when we get to heaven, I want to interview him. Like I want, I want to pull Paul aside and say, hey, Paul, I need to ask you, man, how did you do it? Like, how did you how did you understand your identity and then live it out faithfully? Like, I want to know that. Like, that's a pressing question for me, maybe for some of you as well. It's a pressing question. How do you discover your identity and then live it out? So, Paul, how did you do that? What did you do to understand who you are in Christ and then faithfully live it out? I think if I asked those questions, Paul would probably answer this way. He'd probably say, well, it didn't happen overnight. I think sometimes we, we read about the Apostle Paul. We see his story. He has this blinding light experience, and then, you know, he's prayed for. The scales fall off, and boom, he's planting churches and preaching the gospel and healing the sick. Like, that happened all, all at once. But in Galatians 1, we have a little glimpse of <clears throat> how Paul tells us that he's discovering who he is and his true identity by having this God-ordained three-year wilderness experience in Arabia. Like, he, uh, he comes to faith in Jesus and immediately ends up in Arabia, in Arabia. And he kind of falls off the face of the earth. In fact, then 12, we don't really hear too much about Paul like 12 more years after that until he reappears in Jerusalem as one of the apostles. You see, I think what Paul is, what's going on with Paul's life is that there was a lot of unlearning that had to happen for the apostle. Well, like he had a theology of the Messiah that was totally warped. And he realized that I, this is, I know this is how I thought, this is what I believe, this is what the scripture, I thought this is what the scriptures taught, but here now I've discovered what it really is to follow the Messiah, what it really is to truly follow Jesus Christ. And he had to learn this all over again. He had to relearn how to pray, like Paul's pattern and model of prayer was he would go out into the public spaces and he would put his arms out like this and he would pray this elaborate, well thought out prayer. And people would be like, "Woo, good job, Saul. What an amazing prayer. 
And Paul realized that that's not really praying. Paul realized that he had to find his, his prayer closet, fall on his knees, and basically seek Jesus and get to know who Jesus was. He was finding out that there was an enemy to his soul and that he needed power to overcome the war that goes on inside of us. And you understand that. We all understand that, right? We say we want to follow you, Jesus, but then we're always battling on the inside to actually be faithful to following Jesus. And Paul understood that. So Paul knew that there is a, there's an authority that I can have as a believer that when I belong to him, I can actually live victorious in his life. And somehow or another, I've got to figure that out. Paul knew he had to learn how to tell people about Jesus Christ. Like he was so religious. I mean, he knew all the facts, but none of it was about personal relationship. It was all about law and legalism. And some of you in this room, you might be there as well. Like your idea of following Jesus is making sure you follow all the rules. And Paul's like, no, I can't do that. So he had to separate himself and basically fall in love with Jesus all over again. And none of this happened overnight. I think the second thing Paul might say is it didn't happen on my own. Paul's uh, journey of faith starts with the courage of another believer by the name of Ananias. If you know the story, I don't have time to get into the whole story, but, but Paul's blinded. You know, he has his experience on the road to Damascus with, uh, with Jesus, and he's blinded. And then God at the same time speaks to a, another disciple, another um, follower of Jesus by the name of Ananias. And says, hey, Ananias, I want you to pray. Saul is on his way to Damascus. I want you to pray for Saul that he would receive his sight again. And, you know, Ananias is a really cool guy. He's like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> you have to be from, you have to be a few years old to understand that one. Um, <clears throat> but Ananias is like, what? Are you talking about the guy that's been out killing Christians? That's who you want me to pray for? I don't know about this. But Ananias was a faithful follower of Jesus, so he agrees, and he prays for Paul. And Paul, I mean, immediately receives his sight. And so when Paul was just a baby Christian and couldn't really do anything on his own, there's a guy by the name of Ananias that's pouring into him. There's another guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas comes alongside Paul and he walks with him. In fact, if you follow the trajectory of Paul's life, when, especially the missionary journeys, it starts off with Barnabas and Paul. That's the word, that's the language and how it's, the order is like Barnabas and Paul. So Barnabas is leading, Barnabas is in charge, Barnabas is teaching, and Paul is following along. <clears throat> And very quickly, it switches to Paul and Barnabas. Like Paul, all of a sudden, is growing, and he's becoming who God has called him to become. And you know what? Barnabas doesn't get jealous. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the one that taught you all those things. Now you're trying to be a head. He doesn't do that. He understands that he's just a servant of Jesus Christ, just like Paul is. And then there was Timothy and Lydia and Mark and Luke and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and all these other people who basically walked alongside Paul. And listen, if Paul was here today and he would say to us something, he would say, listen, if you really want to understand who you are in Christ, you cannot do it alone. You must walk with others. You must walk with others there's got to be other people that you're going to join in this, in this journey and they're going to walk along and, and, and you're going in the same direction. You're not, you know, not others that are going in the opposite direction, going in the same direction. In fact, that's why here at Life Church, we're bent on you being a part of a life group because I promise you in your life group, there's an Ananias. 
waiting for you. There's a Barnabas waiting for you. I think the third thing Paul would probably say is it didn't happen because I was good enough. Verse eight of Ephesians three says, although I am less than the least of of, of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentile, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul says, Well, I am the less, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Doesn't that sound like kind of like a humble brag from coming from Paul? <laughs> it's like, come on, Paul. You're like, you're in prison right now. You, you're in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you're saying, I'm the less than the least. I'm like I'm like a roach here on the ground, you know? I am nothing, right? And we could probably interpret that from here, but that's not what Paul's doing. Paul has a true connection with the grace of Jesus Christ poured out in his life. He understands. He knows his past. He knows what he's been through. He knows the way he he was such a deep sinner and how Christ saved him and set him free. He understands the grace of Jesus in his life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he's kind of unpacking this a little bit more. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, the same language as the first one, I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Like I killed the first Christians is what Paul is saying. I think sometimes we sanitize. We look at scripture and we look at people in scripture and we sanitize it. We look at it through the through 2,000 years, lens of 2,000 years of church history. And we, we ignore certain things. But Paul, Paul would say, man, you, you have to understand the grace that was poured out in my life. You have to understand that. Like Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. While Paul was building his resume as a Pharisee of Pharisees, Jesus was walking the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom of God, walking the, walking the roads of Galilee. I sometimes wonder, was Paul, <clears throat> was Paul there? Was he a part of the crowd that was saying, crucify him, crucify him? Probably was. Was Paul standing at a distance while Jesus was hanging on a cross, giving his last, last breath? Was Paul like, yep. See, there's no Messiah there. He's not really the one. He's so, he's so much into basically upsetting this, the name of Jesus and those who follow him that he gets charged by the high priest to basically persecute them, chase them down, imprison them, and kill them. <clears throat> he understood where he came from. He knew the grace that he had received. There's a moment when Stephen, one of the elders of the early church, was accused of blaspheming against the temple. And um, Stephen defends himself. He preaches this amazing sermon, um, powerful sermon, so much so that they can't, they're trying to refute what he's saying. They can't even refute what they're saying, so they just get angry. And they grab Stephen and they drag him outside of the city and they begin pelting rocks at him, stoning him to death. A little verse, if you go to Acts chapter 7, go to, towards the end of Acts chapter 7, there's a little verse that says, we can miss it, it's easy to miss. It simply says, and those who were there throwing rocks, they took their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. And you can pass through that verse, you may not even understand what it says, but basically what it's saying is, Saul was a Pharisee that was giving permission 
for Stephen to be put to death. Paul, Saul understood, understood his background. He understood what he had been forgiven of. He totally understood it. And then he meets Jesus and his life is turned upside down. And now, instead of being a Pharisee of Pharisees and all the things that he accolades that he had, he's now a servant of this gospel. And so when Paul talks about more, what does that mean? Here's what I know is I want that more. I want that more. Like, sure, I want the other kind of more, I, you know, I'm, I, material kind of self-centered type of more. I, I can have some of that. I mean, our father's a good father and he blesses his children. I know that. I know that many of you here, you've been blessed by God when it comes to material things. But the more, the more that Paul wants that he's talking about here, it's more than just a good paycheck or a nice house or even having a nice Christian marriage. The more that, talking, that he's talking about here is this revelation, this revelation of how wide, how deep, how long, how high is immeasurable love of Jesus Christ. That's the more that Paul is talking about. And when you understand that, your identity is rock solid. You become this tree that's planted and cannot be moved. And so when the political you know, landscape is totally upside down and everybody's polarized in so many different directions, you're solid. You know who you are. You know where you belong. You know the identity that you have. When there's war being threatened around the world, you're not going to fall over. You're not going to be upset because you know who you are. You belong to Christ. That is your identity. And let me tell you something, guys. This is what I want you to understand more than anything else. This is who you are. I think sometimes it's so easy for us to be content with treadmills and mani-pedis and massages and like it's easy. But the invitation of God, the invitation of the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians is to, is to become who you were meant to be. And that's not locked up in a zoo. It's out in the wild. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> I want us to do an exercise that we did the first week on this series. Um, this is an identity exercise. You see, these are labels right here. We're going to read these in a second. These are labels, but too often we have other kind of labels like I am rejected, I'm abandoned, I'm unworthy, I'm full of blame. God doesn't want me. God will never forgive me. I am despised. Those are the labels that we carry all the time. Not everybody, but some of us do, right? This series that we've been in, the Apostle Paul has been challenging us to understand who we are. Now, I wish that it was just a matter of you intellectually understanding who you are. That's how you capture it. But again, this is something that's caught. It's not taught. So now you know. Now the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to live? Are you going to like remove the labels and start living in the identity that he says you are? Or are you going to let all the voices out there dictate how you're going to live and who you are?
So what I want us to do is we're gonna read this together. Remember the exercise we did it a few weeks ago. I'm gonna read it, we're gonna read it together. And as we're reading it, you're just gonna say it out loud. And I want you to say it with all of your heart, with all of your being, because this is who you are, okay? Amen? All right, let's do this. All right, I am chosen. I am, I am, I am. You can say it loudly, it's okay. I am, I am, I am. Amen, amen. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for who you are, for what you're doing. Father, I pray for, for our brothers and sisters in Wilton, for our brothers and sisters in Cedar Rapids right now, Father, that you would reveal your identity of who they are, Father, that they would be solid and secure in who, who they are and who you have meant them to become. So, Father, right now, right now, Father, pour your spirit into their lives. They're in Wilton, they're in Cedar Rapids, and in this room, Father, we're asking you, Father, to just stir it up inside of us. Don't let us be content with a zoo life. Help us to chase after you, Jesus, and become who we were meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen.